please join me in opening your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can sing of the forgiveness that you have offered to us through the perfect life the satisfactory, substitutional death of our Savior and your glorious and victorious raising of Him from the grave and causing Him to ascend and seating Him at your right hand. Victory upon victory through the Lord Jesus Christ the perfect, satisfying payment. We pray, Father, you'd help us to set aside those things that would be distracting and to hear from you as we consider your word and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. God has created a gloriously beautiful and complex universe. You can see some of the beauty of his creative power and wisdom in the things that he has made. Uh, We can see uh, from a, a space view, the earth and the moon. From earth's perspective, you can see a view of the Milky Way galaxy on the earth. Looking at the earth, you can see a mountain with a lake and Uh, Things that God has made like a bird flying through the sky. We can see images of unborn children in the womb. And then uh, we can see even computer-generated images of DNA. Now I asked my nerd, I mean my wife, to write up a paragraph about DNA for us. So I can't take credit for what I'm about to read. DNA deoxyribonucleic acid, is a molecule found in the nucleus of every cell in the human body, and it determines the genetic traits of the individual in which it is found. Its shape is a double helix, like a ladder twisted into a tight coil. When stretched out, listen carefully to this, when stretched out, the DNA of a single human cell is about six feet long. With 37 trillion cells in the human body, if all the DNA of a single human were stretched out end to end, the DNA would reach from earth to the sun and back over 600 times. Now that is some amazing wire management. Now you've got your TV, you're trying to tie all those things, you've got your computer, you're trying to tie all those wires, you manage them into this little bundle, and you you wire tie them, or however you manage your wires. Well, God wound 37 trillion cells in the human body, each of which is six feet long if stretched end to end. This is just incredible. These are some of the amazing truths about God's created universe. God has made Himself known through the world He has made. And all of His creation is accountable to Him. 
all of His creation is accountable to Him. Those who have come to know Him worship Him. And those who reject His revelation order their lives in accordance with their own wisdom. Of course, there are natural consequences to living outside of God's wise directives. But much worse than this, a person who does not meet God's standard of righteousness will experience His righteous wrath against sin. Paul is about to talk about this. This reality that every person stands accountable before a righteous God to meet that standard of righteousness has been a motivation for the Apostle Paul to which he says he is eager to preach the Gospel to you who were at Rome. And the reason he's so eager to preach the Gospel in this text is because he says the Gospel produces fruit in verse 13. The Gospel preaching was his responsibility in verse 14. He says that he's a debtor. He's under obligation to do this. He's eager to preach the Gospel because the Gospel is God's power for salvation in verse 16. It's the only way to bring about the salvation of the soul is through the power of God, through the preaching of the Gospel. So he's eager to preach the Gospel. And he's also eager to preach the Gospel to them who are at Rome because the Gospel produces righteousness. We see that in verse 17. Paul will now proceed in his argument to warn his readers that God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Look at please at the verses in chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, which is our text this morning. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteous, excuse me, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. His argument in this next section will demonstrate that all men stand guilty and accountable before God. We can see that in chapter 3 and verse 19. Take a look there, please. Chapter 3 and verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So when he says the whole world, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about every variety of mankind. The whole world stands accountable to Him. Or as other translations, the whole world stands guilty before Him. He's going to tell us in verse 23 that all 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so not only do all stand accountable to God, all have fallen short of His glory, all have sinned, every man, every woman, every child. He will tell us that the pathway toward true righteousness and the only way of escaping the wrath of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. You're in chapter 3 already. Take a look, please, at verses 21 and following. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, it's been shown apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, what does it say? Through faith in Jesus Christ for who? All who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received, how? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that He might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who has fallen short? All. Who will be held accountable? All. There's one way to escape the wrath of God. John the Baptist, you'll remember, was in the wilderness baptizing some. He was baptizing them because they were confessing, they were repenting from their sinfulness. And some religious folk walked up. Do you remember what he said? Who warned you that you needed to flee from the wrath of God? Because you think you're righteous by your deeds. Well, the book of Romans, this first section of the book of Romans, is going to help us to understand justification by faith alone because the wrath of God resides on all of those who are born into this world as sinners, which means everyone, until they come to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, before we can get to the glorious truth of justification by faith in Jesus Christ, we need to see how Paul will convince us that we are all in need of God's mercy and grace through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, as a general rule, in our natural condition, we can have at least one of two ways we view ourselves before a divine judge. When we recognize... There's a divine judge. There's at least two ways. I would say these are two basic ways. We can be self-condemning. I I don't want to walk into a church because a lightning bolt will strike me. I've been so bad that there's no way that God could forgive me. That's self-condemning. When you know there's a judge, possibly you come to the place of self-condemnation and an unwillingness to receive what God has provided for us. There's one way. Secondly, you could be self-justifying. I am basically a good guy. I'm basically a good person. I'm way better than that guy. 
God should accept me. Self-justifying. Those are two ways we can recognize ourselves under the divine judge. God will convince us that both of these views are inaccurate. God will convince us that we are neither self-condemning or should be self-condemning, nor should we be self-justifying. What we'll notice this morning are these four basic principles. God's wrath is revealed against unrighteousness. Secondly, God's nature is revealed by His creation. Thirdly, all of mankind is without excuse. And fourthly, God's Gospel is the solution to our unrighteousness. We'll spend most of our time on the first of these, so bear with us as we consider. This is a very important concept. If I were to say to you, you must be saved, your first question, if you're unaware of what that means, is saved from what? Why must I be saved? Well, this is what Paul wants to answer to, for us in these verses. Look again back in chapter 1. Chapter 1. God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. I just summarized it with just unrighteousness. I could have just summarized it against sinners or sin. Um, I chose unrighteousness. It's the word used in verse 18. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is revealed. What am I being saved from? The answer is God's wrath. It's God's rightful wrath. It's God's righteous wrath. Or it's God's just wrath. He uses the word wrath in Romans numerous times. We're going to take a look at just a couple of those usages in chapters 2 and 3. Now his argumentation in chapter 1, he's going to tell us that people prove their unrighteousness by exchanging worship for the Creator for worship for the created thing. And then he's going to tell us that people prove their unrighteousness as they exchange natural practices that God has put in place through His Word and through nature for unnatural practices that are against His Word and are against nature. And then he's going to proceed to say that we, we prove our unrighteousness as we violate the conscience that's within us. Chapter 2. And then he's going to further prove our unrighteousness that we are violating God's very Word, the oracles of God that He has brought forth. And we violate those. So we violate natural orders, we violate our conscience, and then we violate God's very Word. All of these prove all of our unrighteousness. It's not the unrighteousness out there. It's not the unrighteousness of society. It's the unrighteousness here. 
and the unrighteousness there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Born into a Christian home, in church from a baby, go to church every time the doors are opened. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth that God has revealed. My friends, there is not a more important message that we could consider this morning than the truth that God has righteous wrath against sin. And this is of utmost importance because I'm a sinner. And so are you. Look please at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, you have, what does it say? No excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you, that you, will escape? The judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness or in forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. Not judgment. Repentance. Not feeling good about ourselves. Repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, rather than repentance, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to His works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give Eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be, what does it say? Wrath and fury. Who said this? Well, Paul, all Scripture is given by inspiration, by apnustas, God-breathed. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. God says His wrath is ready to be revealed one day in its fullness against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who through their ungodliness or unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what he tells us here in the midst of providing um, an axiomatic truth that all have sinned and are accountable to God. Paul lets his readers know that our sinful deeds are storing up 
God's wrath against us. Look at chapter 3 now. In verses 1-6. through six. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the, what does it say? Oracles of God, the statements of God, the words of God, the speaking of God. The statements of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your works and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? The wrath of God is a righteous, a right reaction to unrighteous deeds. Elsewhere, James will tell us that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. Oh, well, I'm not nearly as bad as that person. Well, James has something to say to you. When you said your little white lie, when you deceived your spouse, when you turned on that internet browser one more time to look at internet pornography, when you violated the laws of the land and refused to pay your taxes properly, when you hid some of your income so you could have a little bit more for yourself, the list goes on. One sin, one sin, guilty of all of them. Coveter, idolater, adulterer, right? Oh, well, I'm way better than my neighbor. Really? This puts us all on level ground. I'm no better than the guy on death row. And I'm no worse than the guy standing behind another pulpit. Right? All have sinned. And guilty of sin means guilty of all sin. Charged. Guilty as charged. How about you? Well, Paul has something to say about the wrath of God in Colossians 3. Take a look at the screens, please. Verses 5 and 6. He's talking to believers. And he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Listen carefully. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul calls the Ephesians before their conversion children of wrath. And in John chapter 3, referring in, in reference to the Lord Jesus, remember that whole conversation with Nicodemus, in John chapter 3 and verse 36, the Bible says, whoever believes in the Son has what? Oh, that's the good news. We're getting there. Don't worry. We won't stay. Believers won't stay under the righteous wrath of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life I don't like that translation. 
Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, abides on him, hangs over him. It's impending. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your shelter, we'll talk about that in a few moments, as your shelter from this wrath, this wrath of God is an impending doom over you. So when we say, you must be saved, we're telling you that you must be saved from the righteous wrath of God. Why? Because you're a sinner, like I am. And I need to find my refuge, not in me, not in church, not in giving, not in doing, because the doing leads to more condemnation. I need to find my refuge in the one who perfectly lived in my stead and provides eternal righteousness. Find my shelter in Jesus Christ. What is the cause of this righteous wrath of God? He says back in chapter 1 and verse 18, it is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness is a lack of conscious awareness of God. It's as if our thoughts are wrapped up in other things and therefore, at the very least, God is relegated to the background or dismissed altogether. Ungodliness has to do with our thinking, our conscious awareness of God. And he also says, against all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is a breaking of God's commandments or a deviation from God's righteous standards. I really like what Charles Cranfield said. He uses the word, the Greek term is asabia, which is the ungodliness term. Asabia characterizes sin as an attack on the majesty of God, his deserving of our utmost thoughts in worship, right? Because the word sibia has the idea of worship. Ah is a negating it, a lack of worship. Asibia characterizes sin as an attack on the majesty of God, whereas adikia, which is unrighteousness, labels it as a violation of God's just order. Consider it this way. In our suppressing of the truth, God has revealed himself, and we say, eh, no, a big bang happened. God is revealing himself, we say, eh, Whatever. We don't care. We suppress the truth of what God has revealed about Himself in what He has made. The result of that suppressing of the truth is an unrighteousness in life. Well, there's a step before that unrighteousness in action. It's an unrighteousness and ungodliness of our minds. Because we suppress the truth, we don't worship God as who He is. And because we don't worship God as who He is, we worship ourselves. And in our worship of ourselves, our actions are in contradiction to the standards of God. This is why God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Because we said, no thank you to him. We won't worship you as you ought to be worshipped. He'll worship us and we'll do as we please. God's wrath is revealed. Perhaps you could see ungodliness as sinfulness of mind, which leads to sinfulness in action because of a suppression of the truth. 
The word uh, suppress is kateko. It's to hold back or restrain. No thank you, Lord. I'm all set. The truth of God's creative actions are clear for all to see. But there is a restraining of this revelation because people prefer to believe a lie. God has revealed Himself. Secondly, God's nature is revealed by His creation. God's nature is revealed by His creation. Look at verse 19 again. For what can be known about God is, what does it say? Plain to them. You're in verse 19 of chapter 1. We'll do it again. For what can be known about God is what? Plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Look at these images depicting God's powerful, creative handiwork. Look at this. These are things that God has made. And the Bible tells us that the reason He has made these things are for His glory and as part of the way He has revealed Himself to mankind on this earth. Take a look at Psalm 19, please. Now we read the 19th Psalm this morning as our responsive reading. And David is going to tell us that God has revealed Himself and His power as a testimony to all mankind. Look at what it says. In verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens point out, they scream out, God is majestic. Look at what He has made. Look in the sky and the the order and things are not colliding and exploding and, and disorder does not rule the day. Shockingly, Shockingly, the solar system keeps moving without planets colliding. Oh, this happened by random chance. Give it a rest. They would rather believe that random chance could produce the order of this universe than to say there must be something, someone else. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day, it pours out speech. And night to night, it reveals knowledge. Oh, well, how will the people in these third world countries ever know there is no speech? Nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Everyone can see it. It doesn't take a genius. In fact, the geniuses are the ones that say no. It's a sad, sad day we live in. And it's a sad, sad world we live in. Where the obvious things a child knows. They absolutely know there's someone, someone that did this. It didn't happen by random chance. Verse 4, Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them. In this sky, in this vast universe, in them, He has set a tent for the sun. And from our earthly vantage point, it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, it runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of the other end of them. And there is nothing, 
nothing hidden from its feet. Everyone, everyone can see what God has done. And everyone can feel what God has done. They see it. It's screaming out. And they can feel the impact. Ah, And God takes credit for this. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And this creation is attributed to God the Son. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians chapter 1, same idea. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So not only did He speak the world into existence that you can read about in Psalm 33, not only by the word of the Lord were the heavens framed and all the host of them, we also recognize that every moment the power of Jesus Christ holds it all together. Your body is held together by the glorious power of Jesus Christ. All things held together, banded together by Him. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 that He is bringing this universe to its fitting and final conclusion. Nothing. Not you. Not me. Nothing in this universe is outside of God's glorious power. God has revealed His power and His nature. He's divine through the things He has made. As we look a little further, please, back in Romans chapter 3, we'll recognize just one last phrase from this that is very important for our discussion, that all of mankind is without excuse. All of mankind is without excuse. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, just the very last sentence. So they are without excuse. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Look down at verse 11. For God shows no partiality, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So this is whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're from a religious home or outside of a religious home. This is... This is those who have been exposed to the law of God and those who are not exposed to the law of God. All, all, look at chapter 3 now, beginning in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? What does he say? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are what? Under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Look at verse 19, please. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes what? The knowledge of sin. God wants us to know who we are by our nature who we are in our actions. God wants to reveal to us that we are in desperate need of Him. He's done what's necessary. He's created everything. He sustains everything. He wants to reveal to me that I fall short of His glory. His wrath abides on me. But, but, He's provided the only solution. It's not as though He wants to condemn me and say, well, well, that's that. I just wanted to prove to you that you're a sinner. Good luck with that. See you at the judgment day. That's not what Romans chapter 1 is doing. Not for the irreligious. Not for the mainstream person. And not for the super zealot. He's not just bringing about a condemnation. Remember? I can't wait to get to Rome. I want to harvest some fruit among you. I am under obligation. I am a debtor, both to Gentiles and to to Jews, to preach the Gospel. Why? Because the Gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so, He doesn't leave us with this feeling of dread hanging over us. He wants to bring us to that point so we can know there's a refuge. There's a refuge. What is that refuge? God's Gospel is the solution to our unrighteousness. This is why Paul was so eager to preach the Gospel to them. For it is in the Gospel that God provides a solution to man's biggest problem. Man's biggest problem is that we are ungodly and unrighteous of our own accord. And God's wrath is revealed against the sinfulness. To be shielded. To be shielded from God's wrath. I need God's protection. No one else, nothing else can protect me from God's wrath, but He can. He can. Only God's righteousness can save me from God's wrath. Only God's righteousness can save me from God's wrath. He's told us this idea in chapter 1 where He said, In verse 17, for in it, the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then he moves into verse 18, for, the reason we need this, for the wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven because of the revelation of our sinfulness. But the Gospel shows forth God's righteousness, a righteousness provided. Take a look, please, at Romans chapter again. We've read this passage already. We want to read it one more time and we want to focus in on just one concept within it. Romans chapter 3. This concept of God's wrath is less than popular. Would you agree? Like I'm not going to go out on the street corner with a cardboard cutout 
and say, judgment day is coming. The wrath of God is coming. That's, we've, you see people do that in certain locations. You get the, the posters and that's how they want to do it. Well, I think God is proving it very well. And in our interaction with people, we want to point them to the solution. The solution to the fact that they reside under the wrath of God. So the wrath of God is not a popular topic. The church, I use that term very, very liberally, the church does not talk about the wrath of God. Now, there are churches, gospel churches, that talk about the wrath of God. And it's important to talk about it. We should not hide from it. We should not skirt the issue. Because without the wrath of God, we do not ever truly convey the glory of the gospel. Who needs rescue from nothing? Oh, kids, be, be careful when you walk in the living room. I don't want a car to run you over. It kind of doesn't have a lot of teeth to it. However, if you walk out on Elmwood Avenue and walk down the yellow line, hey, kid, don't walk over there. You see that car? That'll kill you. Yeah, I see it, Dad. I understand. The wrath of God is essential to understanding the rescue, the glorious rescue of God. We're in Romans chapter 3. Let's look again, beginning at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For who? All who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by grace as a gift. Those that have come in faith are justified by a gift by His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now here's, this is a very important verse, verse 23, and this is going to be the emphasis of why we're talking about it right now. Whom? Who's the whom? Back at the end of verse 24, Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as what? A propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance or patience He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ or faith in Jesus. Now when we get to this passage, we're going to talk about justification and justice and all of those things. We're here right now to understand the word propitiation. Verse 25, propitiation. The word propitiation is closely related to the Old Testament term mercy seat. It was upon that mercy seat that once per year the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with a basin of blood and he would sprinkle on that that seat the blood of the sacrifice. And that sacrifice was a covering and atonement for the sin of the people. God would give them a, an appeasement, an easement of His wrath against their sin. God would deal with their sin. He would cleanse them from their sin. But it was done year after year because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Ask the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 10. So year after year they would go in. Every year on the Day of Atonement. And God would cleanse His people. There would be an atonement. But it was a temporary atonement. When the Lord Jesus came, 
lived perfectly in our stead, laid his life down as a satisfactory sacrifice for my sin, Jesus eliminated God's wrath against my sin. He absorbed fully God's wrath against my sin. I am one of the ones in verse 18 of chapter 1 who suppressed the truth and as a result lived an ungodly and an unrighteous way that the rightful wrath of God should rain down on me. But Jesus as my propitiation, has absorbed that wrath in my place. And it is a settlement of God's wrath against my sin. This is true for everyone that turns from their sin and turns to Jesus in faith, believing. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's true for you and it's true for everyone in your household. It's true for you. It's true for your neighbor. It's true for you. It's true for your mom. It's true for you. It's true for your sister. It's true. And at the moment that we trust Jesus as our Savior, there is never a fear that God's condemnation will fall on us. Romans 8 will tell us all about it in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. At the end of the chapter, as he comes toward the end, he says, there is nothing, nothing that separates you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not tribulation, not, not peril, not nakedness, not sword. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I've trusted in the only one who can provide for me righteousness when I in reality am unrighteous. But Jesus absorbed the wrath of God against my sin and He provided for me a, a way to be accounted righteous. This happens as a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, as Peter has told us, was a sufficient payment. It was as a lamb without blemish and without spot. As John the Baptist said, he saw the Lord Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. You, could, you, could, you, can, you can just get an idea. The ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their ungodliness suppress the truth. You can substitute that right in there for that word sin. And you wouldn't be doing damage. Now, I'm not saying that this can be modified. I'm just telling you, you can substitute the concept in there for your own understanding. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the ungodliness, all ungodliness, and all unrighteousness of those who in their unrighteousness suppress the truth, who takes away the sin of the world. Does He take away the sin of every person? Every person who turns from themselves in their sin and turns to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, have you found shelter in the refuge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are you seeking shelter from? 
the righteous wrath of God. Because I deserve it. I deserve the righteous wrath of God. But I found shelter, a refuge, a place of protection, but so much more. A place of, place of welcome, a place of union, a place of communion, a place of acceptance, a place of intimacy, a place where I recognize he's my father and I'm his son. How? Because I found refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. A true gospel church will continually be preaching this good news for both believers and unbelievers. Believer, you need this refuge as well. Oh yes, I found it. You know, On such and such a date, I did this, I went down and I prayed and I have this card, it says it, whatever it is that, you, that happened with you. Um, I, I have this refuge. Yes, I, I agree with you. <laughs> That's when the refuge took place. But every day, my refuge is still the same place. Did you know that? Every day. My standing with God is right. Not because I've now come to understand all these things. I believed back then and now I know how to live. And my actions now make me right with God. No, 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 no. That's regression. That's a turning away. That's a falling away. God has called us by grace and God sustains us by grace. God has called us by the Gospel and God sustains us by the Gospel. Our right standing before God This righteous God who judges sin is dependent upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you trusted Him for your eternal salvation? Are you trusting Him for your continued right standing? Is He your refuge and your strength? Friend, I plead with you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I plead with you today, be made right with God. Be reconciled to God. Have peace with God. It is available to you because Jesus absorbed the wrath and Jesus provides the opportunity, perfect, pure, real opportunity to be accounted righteous to everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone that does this will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, you know the spiritual condition of each one of us. Father, it is our desire this morning to stand not in a righteousness of our own, for that is a failed righteousness, but to stand upon a pure and perfect and eternal righteousness that has been provided to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for myself as well as every other believer in this room that we would continuously rejoice and recognize the benefits that are ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us never to try to stand upon our own goodness and our own track record, but only upon the track record and righteousness of Your Son and our Savior. And Father, we want to pray as well for those in this room, those listening or watching, that do not know if they have a right and eternal standing with you. Dear Father, please open their eyes to see their need, the urgency of the Gospel, and help them to embrace Jesus Christ 
as their refuge and strength, as their salvation, to believe upon Him, to receive forgiveness of sin and perfect righteousness forever. Do your work that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.